What's up, world? I'm Angelica Beener, and this is Milestones, a podcast where my special guests and I take a deep dive look into landmark albums, projects, and people celebrating a milestone year. Welcome to episode 15 of season two, and tremendous thanks to you, as always, for joining me. Last week, we lost a giant in modern music, the great Rudolph Isley, a founding member of the iconic Isley Brothers. Rudolph passed away on October 11th at the age of 84. The Rock and Roll Hall of Famer co-penned some of the biggest popular classics of the 20th century, including Shout, That Lady, and It's Your Thing. In honor of Mr. Rudolph Isley on this special two-part episode, we will dive into the astounding six-decade legacy of the Isley Brothers and celebrate their milestone 1973 album, Three Plus Three, which turns 50 this year. My special guest today is a world-class, award-winning vocalist, instrumentalist, producer, composer, and cultural historian. With musical collaborators and mentors like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, he has also worked with Usher, Mary J. Blige, Jada Kiss, and Yolanda Adams. He co-wrote the chart-topping single, You, for breakout singer Nicole Buss, which spent 22 weeks on Billboard and tied for the fastest debut single to reach number one on the Billboard Adult R&B Songs chart. His episodic series, Wow TL Cross, along with Cross in a Minute, are taking the hip-hop world by storm. With his narrative style of threading and weaving seemingly disaffiliated people, places, and events, Cross has become a rising star in the realm of hip-hop musicology. He is the founder of Cross Academy of Performing Arts, and he is the resident cultural historian with Bounce TV, where he discusses hip-hop, film, and the importance of HBCUs. He is my friend, my brother, and my musical kindred soul, the original and dynamic Mr. T.L. Cross. Cross, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be here, and there's no one that I would be uh, more happy to talk about something like this than with you, my great, 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 amazing friend, the Angelica Beaner. Come on now. Come on. Come on now. Give it up, y'all. Give it up. Oh, <laughs> I, I wish we had a studio audience. Do we? <laughs> Why are you in the clapping mood? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's not start. Let's not start. I know. You already, you already know. Uh mm-hmm. As hip-hop is celebrating its 50th anniversary, you are being honored by the Jamaica Center for Arts and Learning for your work as a historian in the field of hip-hop. And they are specifically acknowledging your preservation of Queen's hip-hop history. That's amazing. Congratulations to you. Oh, man. Thank you, you know, first of all. And, you know, I'm just wrestling with the idea of being honored because my work is so based on shining a light on other people and what they've done and how they've inspired me. So shout out to Jamaica, Jamaica Center of Arts and Learning. They've been around for a long time, doing so much for the community in Queens. And to be an honoree just is, it's it's, it's otherworldly for me. And I know what also must be otherworldly is who will be presenting this award to you. The one and only, the icon, the living legend, Mr. Curtis Blow. Oh, my gosh. You know, Curtis, the first gold 
single artist in hip hop history. And to have that happen means a lot to me. A lot of people don't know that Curtis, his story is really, really intertwined with Queens. He's a Harlem guy. And, but when he was born, he spent his first two years in a place called 40 Projects in Queens. And he came back in the 70s and uh, partnered with Russell Simmons and in a place called Night Fever Disco in Hollis. From 76 to 79, he honed his thing and he had a residency there. And he became Curtis Blow in that place. Run being his DJ and Davey DMX and Larry Smith being a part of his thing. And so a lot of Queen's uh, hip hop history, a lot of it starts as far as recorded music with with Curtis. You know, Curtis was a big, big influence. And they used to even bill him Curtis Blow, Queen's number one DJ. <laughs> yeah, that's what. Wow. So on the flyers, that's what it was. And so it. It makes it, it makes me so happy to know that somebody like Curtis, who's meant so much to the story of Queens hip hop, at least in a particular region, to be presenting this to me. And I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by it all. Oh, my gosh. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it, it couldn't be happening for a more appropriate person. I've known you for decades at this point. <laughs> a long time. We'll just say a long that. time. Let's just say that. a long time. And I remember when you were starting this work, but I mean, I mean, you've probably been doing it in here, maybe yeah. even longer than I'm aware of. But I remember when you were intentional in starting this work and just so to see your your path and to see your journey has been amazing. And to see you get your flowers too, mm. they're giving it to the right guy. So again, congratulations to you. And I, I, I'm thrilled about the whole thing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank and I just want to say something about you. Right quick, you know, let me embarrass you right quick. You talked about, you remember me starting this, but in time, and I'm talking to your audience right now, in time, you all, you're going to see that uh, Angelica Beaner has been interviewing people much longer than you think. I mean, this goes back into single digits and this goes back into a personal journey, but I'm not going to go into that. I will say <laughs> that uh, Angelica has been a pro before she even knew she was a pro. You know what I'm saying? And so here she is doing something, just one of the things that she's great at. And I'm 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 happy to be your subject right now because you've had some great people early in your life that that you've done this with. So I'm honored. Thank you so much. Don't make me start tearing up. <laughs> but I thank you. I received that. I received that. I received that. I received yeah, I, I'm, I'm doing better at, I'm trying to do better at receiving that. So thank you, my brother. So without further ado, we are here to talk about the legendary Isley Brothers, one of the most iconic bands of all time. As we said, Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, one of the biggest selling groups of all time, most sampled, one of the longest touring, recording and enduring bands of our time. And beyond the accolades, they are truly just one of the most influential, broad-scoped, virtuosic, genre-expanding bands of our time. And I look forward to unpacking their greatness with you in celebration of 3 Plus 3, their pivotal 1973 album. But before we get to that, yeah. I want to zoom out a bit because it's interesting. As long as I've known you and as much as we've talked about music I'm not sure that we've talked much about the Isley Brothers. So this is going to be a really fun conversation because I don't know 
much about where you're coming from, you know, with the Isley Brothers. So I'm very excited to have sort of a new conversation with someone like you, with you specifically. Whenever there's an artist whose career spans generations, I'm always interested in the entry point. When they came into the fore for you, what decade, what era, what what album, even if you know that? Yeah. So for me, interestingly enough, the Ozzy Brothers were always played in my house, but, and I enjoyed it, but me digging into their whole bag myself, it, it came pretty early. And interestingly enough, it came through hip hop. They were sampled by Salt and Pepper. Shout out to Salt and Pepper, Herbie Lovebug for the song Shake Your Thing. And I remember as soon as I heard it, my father, my father was the resident historian, music historian in our household because he's a great and accomplished musician, the great masterful Eli Wilson Jr. Shout but, out. Shout out. What up, dad? And he's definitely going to, he's definitely going to see this. So, and you're like a daughter to him. So yes, we, yes, we'll, yes. Get into that. we'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my father would be the one when a, when a rap song would come on, I'd be like, Ooh, dad, you don't know about this. My father would be the one to say, son, that is the Osley brothers. It's your thing. And he would always say those magic words. I got that record right down there in the basement. Mm. And I would go and I would listen every time, whether it be Otis Redding or this one. I would go down and I would try to find that record. Lo and behold, I found It's Your Thing. And it baffled me as to how modern It's Your Thing sounded to me. And I was like, they didn't even have to do anything to this. I came back to my father like, yo, dad, Ozzy Brothers are good. He was like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they are. And I was like, wow. And then I listened to the whole album. You know, I listened to everything. And it was a compilation. It was, it had like their greatest hits. It was more like a greatest hits kind of record that he had. And I just started going through all those great Osley Brothers songs. And that's when I decided for myself, these guys, these guys might be on to something. They might be you know, on this. They might be on to something. But I fell in love with the Osley Brothers from that moment right there. That's crazy. Is that 88? Yes, it was. Okay. Yes, it was. I'm going to tell you, I was in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And I remember... I I was like, I feel like I know exactly the year, the summer I was listening to that. And that joint goes (laughs) so hard. You know, E-U, ow, ow. Come on, come come on. Come on now, come on now. I mean, that's just... He said, oh, you're looking sweet, baby. I said, all right, (laughs) that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Ow, sing it. Oh, you looking sweet, baby. Yes, indeed. Funk it down. We was born a dance floor, shaking our thing to a funky beat with a go-go swing. Everyone was watching, they did it shock. Amazing how Salt and Pepper was rock. In the place with a smile on our face. Some got upset and then try to bait. They called us nasty, said we did dirty. Crew, we were freaks, she even flirty. Understand the way you. Your thing. Oh, do what you wanna do. 
your point. I mean, when you said it, I just felt it all up in my body because it's just, it, and that's a testament to the hip hop that was before hip hop, as I, I know you like to say. And we, we're going to get into that. We're, we're going to get into that for a second. But before, before we do, the Isley Brothers out of the great state of Ohio. I always like to, especially with, with Black music, I find it really interesting to kind of dig into the region for a second and just shout out some Ohio legends. When, when you think of Ohio, because I know we think of Detroit, it's like, bam, 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 bam. We think of Chicago or, or whatever, but Philly, you know. Yeah. Who comes to mind for you in addition to the legendary Isley Brothers when it comes to Ohio? For me, off the top, I have to go to the Ohio Players. Yeah, because Ohio Players was was a group that, the, the reason why I knew the Ohio Players was so good outside of just sonically listening to them, my father said there was a time where it was like, who has the better horn section? Ohio Players, Earth, Wind & Fire. You know what I'm saying? And they do a concert and then they do a concert and just goes to show you Earth, Wind & Fire being so iconic, of course. Roger Trotman, I mean that whole Zap thing, man. Just Ohio, and then I and then I gotta I gotta go into some people who came later, but I gotta I gotta go into that Babyface, that LA and Babyface. You know what I'm saying I got to <laughs> make your face ugly when you say. Come you know on I mean? now, just. <laughs> but but in in them giving a, a, a sound in in words and sentiment to another generation in the '80s and in the '90s. So Ohio just, the list goes on, as you already know. You know. Man, on and on and on, like popcorn. Is Bobby Womack from Ohio? The Womack brothers, they may have been from I, Ohio. I think so. I'll take this, I'll take that out if they're not. But James Ingram, <laughs> y'all gonna be there. Yes, uh, <laughs> James Ingram, oh man. Nancy Wilson, we gotta throw some jazz in there. Absolutely. Ohio is kind of not to be, to be played with here, but... Okay, so so the original group, mm-hmm. which was Rudolph, O'Kelly, and Ronald. And I feel like we should introduce the entire group one by one because many of us know the members. Well, I should say they know the group. Yeah, yeah. The Isley Brothers, you know uh, what I mean? Yeah. But the Jacksons or the Silvers or the DeBarges, I mean, this is a huge family. It's six brothers. Yeah. Starting yeah. out with O'Kelly, yeah. Kelly Isley, who's a junior who was a singer-songwriter of the group. Then next was Rudy, also yeah. the singer-songwriter, vocalist of the group. And then there's Ron Isley, one of the greatest lead voices and interpreters of song of all time, who also wrote, arranged, and produced for the group. And mm. then there's Vernon Isley, who I didn't know was a founding member, yes. who tragically died at just 13 years old. He was hit by a, a car while riding his bike. Yeah. And then there was Ernie Isley. Ernie. Uh, yeah. The singer, the songwriter, the, the guitarist, the a guitar god, but we're going to get into that. And the drummer yeah. for the Isley Brothers, Ernie. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Yeah. And then there's Marvin Isley, yeah. who's the singer, songwriter, arranger, and the bassist of the group. Mm-hmm. And then we have Chris Jasper, who was yeah. actually Rudy's brother-in-law yeah. and the... The brilliant, legendary keyboardist, songwriter, vocalist of the group. Now, Cross, we have talked offline about our personal love for Rudy Isley in particular. I want to get into that in just a second, but 
I want to kind of not be morbid, but I didn't know about Vernon Isley until I started kind of getting this episode together. Yeah. And losing someone that young, yeah. who was a founding member of the group, who was a baby, yeah. that could have been, we gonna hang this thing up. Yeah, yeah. It's said that Rudy was actually the one that kind of was like holding it together for everybody in the face of tragedy. And I just want to get your thoughts on, on that because they hadn't even gotten off the ground yet yeah. when this happened. Yeah. My thoughts on that, just first and foremost, Vernon, I've heard O'Kelly say Vernon was their lead singer and he sang. He was up front. And so when, when you lose somebody that's not only a founding member, so such an integral part of what you're doing, of, of course you're left to figure it out. And of course it becomes, what are we going to do? Are we going to continue doing this? And what I believe was because they came together, and this is something that you hear in their music later on, but because their uh, genesis is in the church, in the Black church, and they were kind of doing gospel and going from church to church, I think that their, their faith and their spirituality may have played a role in saying, we have to continue. We got to keep on. There's a message here. We're a family. We're brothers. Let's do this in the name of Vernon. He'd want us to continue. And then having it, and then probably some of those early songs were just spiritual songs, stuff that was maybe helping to perhaps soothe them, perhaps something that gave them hope. And that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I look at it. But surely in losing him was a huge blow to them. And they, I'm sure they had to figure it out. And maybe, maybe they never stopped feeling like he was there with them and, or we're missing our guy and that kind of thing. So yeah, that, that's kind of how I look at it. It's interesting that you say they maybe never quite got it because I watched last night their 1992 induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and they were inducted by Little Richard. Yeah, yeah. Let's bookmark that because I want to go back to Little Richard. But when they were giving their speech, each of them, and I believe it was Marvin. Mm -hmm. And when he said, you know, this is for Vernon, or I want to thank Vernon, because they were thinking their parents and label executives and this one and that one. And when he said Vernon, the the gasp that he took after mm -hmm. saying his name said it all. It said exactly what you just said in that I don't think you ever yeah. get over something like that. You get through something like that. And when you talk about their faith and the fact that Rudolph later in his career, you know, going into ministry and things like that, I think you're right. That was, it had to have been largely their faith. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. no, certainly. Certainly. And then, and then you can... You can hear how that the, the black church kind of helped shape and color their sound. They they continued to have that among other things, other components to their sound, but they never stopped having that component to it. So it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It yeah. really, really, really is. And Rudy as a co-founder, and him being so integral to to shaping the group's sound. But also their 
aesthetic. And, you know, I particularly want to talk to you about this because you shared a clip with me. I'm grinning from ear to ear because that clip just the joy that that thing brings me. Because if there was one thing to show the energy, the swag of Rudy Isley, it would be this Soul Train clip where they're doing layaway. I think it was probably like 1972. You said something really interesting about Rudy as it pertains to hip hop. And I wonder if you would unpack some of that for me and for our audience. Listen, listen, listen. So in watching that clip, the Osley brothers are are doing what they did so well. The slow groove, you know what I'm saying? Like the slow slow funk groove, not the ballad, not the ballad, because we get to that. But the slow funk groove. And I mean, so what's happening is, first of all, our guy, Rudy, he got, he, he has the shades on. He has the shades on. He got the hat on low. And his, <laughs> his, his gestures, his body movement, put it to you this way. All the brothers and sisters in the hood, when they saw them on there, if they had never really paid attention to the Osley brothers, when they looked at him, they saw themselves. That's what they saw. They saw the streets. They saw that urban thing. They saw the ghettos, the hoods. They saw everything urban and cool about Blackness. And he embodied that just through his his movement and his singing. Now, the thing is, while Ron is singing, he's just grooving to it. He's grooving to it like, yo, this is my joint. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, this is my joint. And I loved it. So if you ever get a chance, check out Layaway. He did similar things in other performances in that era. There's this movement, you know, that he would always do. And you just got to see it. And when you see it, you will feel it. You will recognize it. And that's one of the things to me that made the Isley brothers such urban heroes on top of some of the beauty that they had with their music. There was something so urban about them and nobody embodied that more than Rudolph Isley. I get chills, good chills, when you say that, because it's just, first of all, he's sort of like physically towering over the group, and he's taking up so much space, and you just, it's just amazing to watch. When you brought up the hip-hop element, it made me look at it through that lens. I see Jam Master J. I see Slick Rick the Cane. You know what I mean? Who was rocking the cane for no reason? Just for just for the style? Just because just, just, just it's Tuesday. Just because it's Tuesday. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, the cane with Ron, that was Rudy. 
I don't know if that's the exact cane that Ron would use like in the 2000s and all that stuff. But at a time, that was the exact cane, like even like Boys to Men, who wasn't a hip hop group. Oh, wait, he he did have a back problem, though, huh? The basis in uh, Boys to Men. Yeah, but but then they said he, he said he, he had a back problem, but it was like, you know what? Here, take this. This will actually make you cool. And then he did, you know what I'm saying? Got so, it, got it, right, right. A singer with a back problem, he's just the cool guy. You know what I'm saying? Right. He, he leaned into it because there was a template that came before him. Exactly. So, I mean, that that whole vibe, like you said, the fashion, the movement, the, the bravado, the smoothness, the swag, the cane, which he debuted on the cover of 3 Plus 3, which we're going to get into. While we're still on hip-hop, the amount of samples, where can people hear the Isley Brothers in hip-hop? Where, where, what, just, just throw, 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 throw some things out there for them, T.L. Oh my gosh, there is a record. Shout out to the great, the great incomparable D-Nice. D-Nice had a dope, a dope rap career. He made one of my all-time favorite rap records, Call Me D-Nice, of course. But there's another song that he has, and the title slips my mind. He says, it was a hot summer day. I was dying from the heat, walking up 118th Street. Although I'm hot like stew, in the back of my mind, it was a bottle of brew. And it's boom, boom, can't drink a boom, 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 boom. He got it. That Ozzy Brother slow groove we talked about. I could already see my man Rudy doing his thing. You know, I could already see it. But I turned you on. Of course, we got to go to the the late notorious B.I.G. with his, I love it when you call me Big Papa. And then, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't go before him to Tribe called Quest off of the same In Between the Sheets. The remix to Benita Applebaum. Hey, hon. Come on now. Come yeah, on now. So you see what I did there? I you see know? what you did there. I see yeah. what you did there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so the list the, the list goes on with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Just to throw a couple more on there. I got to shout out Jay Dilla with Common and, and D'Angelo. So far to go with that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Kendrick Lamar, that lady. Uh, yeah. Thundercat. Ice Cube, as you said, the list goes, goes, goes on and on and on. It was a hot summer day, I was dying from the heat, heat, walking up 118th Street. Although I'm hot like stew, in the back of my mind it was a bottle of brew. Now a nice cold bottle will just quench my thirst or get some boom from the dreads, whichever one comes first. Now is it brew? Yeah. Or is it boom? Yeah. So I lit at the boom and now may I presume? Yeah. Now about three o'clock I had to meet my crew. I looked at my watch and then I noticed it was half past two. I saw these two honeys walking down the avenue. Benita Apple Go ahead with yourself. Benita Apple Hey, hard, hey, hard. Benita Apple Gum. You gotta put me on. I said, Benita Apple 
the apple mum, remember way back woo When you used to play your knickers in your pigtail too I used to be all on it like a fly crazy part is that they're still collaborating with rappers. I mean, I know they had done something with the late takeoff yeah. recently of the Migos and stuff. So they are still it's interesting too. I just cut myself off, but all right. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but Listen, like, nobody better to cut you off than you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you start. Oh. Hold it together. Hold it together. I know, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> I, I think too, for them to have started in 1959, which is where I want to go next, want to kind of go to the beginning, catch up to 1973. For them to have come out in the 50s, but still have this open-mindedness as it pertains to sampling and things like that. What do you think that says about the Isleys that they embraced hip-hop the way they have and continue to do so? You know, there's so many things that I could say here, but what I one of the things that I'll say is, and we're gonna get into this, they embraced technology. They were one of the groups in acts that embraced technology. Last time we got together, we talked about the amazing uh, iconic Stevie Wonder in music in my mind. We talked about him and we talked about him embracing technology. Marvin Gaye, when you get to the drum machine with sexual healing in 82, Michael Jackson. But there, there are various artists over time. And the Osley Brothers, they embrace technology very early. You can hear that synth sound. You can hear some of the uh, equipment that Ernie Isley used, all this technology. You know what I'm saying? And so I think their open-mindedness, that's the perfect word that you use, because that is what, to me, opened the door for them to hear new things not immediately judge it, but say, well, what is this happening? What's going on with this? How could this be in order for us to keep our spirit, but use that technology in order to do what we do? I think about Herbie Hancock, Miles Davis, people like that. So that's one of the things that I think did it. But I also say their music, their music into the, the era that we're about to get into did speak to a prime ready for hip hop culture. And they were a part of it. Like they were a part of that culture. They weren't just singing and playing to the culture. They were a part of that culture that ultimately became that thing. So yeah, I think that was the embracing of it. And I think the hip hop community embraced them very early. 
Like mm. I said, Rudy, Rudy Isley, they saw themselves with the Osley brothers. So the Osley brothers were probably heroes. Whenever they went, I'm not talking about, we know they were heroes on the charts and with sales, but I think among the people though, they were heroes. You you said it all right there. That makes yeah. so much sense that they would have, like you said, I didn't think of it like that, but because they are literally the prototype almost in many ways, that makes so much so, 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 so much sense. And yes, I do want to talk about Stevie when we get to this album. Let's take it back to 1959 real quick. And the thing that bugged me out was that Shout came out only two years after Little Richard's first album. What does that say about the Isley Brothers? And then when I watched the, the Hall of Fame induction, Little Richard said out of his own mouth, that they were the first rock and roll band that he heard. This is the king of rock and roll. I mean, paint a little picture for me of the mid to late 1950s in terms of Black music and help frame how freaking important the Isley Brothers are when we look at that. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Oh, they, they, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. So... It, and I love that. I love that the great genius Little Richard said that. I love that he said that because we don't talk about that. You know, who was like the first rock and roll band? We usually, we look at the, the figures. You know, you have Little Richard and his band, Chuck Berry and his band, Fats Domino and his band. But then you look at, this is the Isley Brothers doing their thing. So this is the, this is the 50s. And let me just say, this is a cultural movement, rock and roll, a cultural movement. Forget about the name. Forget about the name rock and roll and how it was packaged and sold to the people and became like an industry. Just think about the culture of it. Again, Osley Brothers were always a part of the cultural movements that were happening. And they were a part of this movement the blues fast, doing it a certain kind of way. You know, there's certain uh, ways people are talking, the way they're dancing, the way they're dressing. Ultimately, we started saying that's rock and roll. But the Isley Brothers embodied that. And let me just say, for them to have a song called Shout and them to use the kind of motif, like a rock and roll kind of a vibe, it kind of goes to show you that this wasn't just a, a performance group. This was a group that was bringing us cultural movements through music. And this is what happened in 1959 with Shout. If you've never been in the Black community, this is what it might sound like. This is what it might look like. If you've never been inside of a Black church, this is what it might sound like. If, you, if you're doing the history of West Africa and you look at the ring shout and the charismatic things that's happening here and... Here's a good here's a good thing to talk about right here. There was also an emotional revolution that happened in America. This is when young white children were, you know, listening to what they were listening to and doing what they were doing. But here comes Little Richard. Here comes Chuck Berry. Here comes the Osley brothers who when you know you make me want to shout and people would jump, clap your hands, jump up and down, sing. And all of a sudden, all these white kids were having these conniptions, you know, <laughs> like while listening to this music and, and, and watching these people perform. So this is why when we get to Elvis, Elvis might do something with his, you know, hips or something. And they would go crazy because 
the movement was a a uh, a movement where you use your body, mm. where you use your voice and scream, and when you clap your hands and jump in. This came directly, this was a cultural movement, something that had been happening in the Black community the entire time. So now here comes these guys having a song saying, clap your hands, get up, this, that, and the third. And this was like a, a kind of like a highway into an emotional, a personal emotional revolution that was happening within these children, within these people. But for us, it was just like, man, you heard that song, Shout? Man, that joint is hot. Whatever they were saying back then, they said right, that right. they might have said that. They might have said that. And you're right because white girls who were screaming and 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 this is before Beatlemania, <laughs> you know all that stuff. And like you said, that might have been your grandmother catching the Holy Ghost that Sunday before. And when you said throw your hands up, I'm like, okay, the hip hop thing it goes even further back now because what do we say in hip hop? Throw your hands up. Yeah, throw your hands up and throw your hands in the air, waving like you just don't care. Because we always participate in the art form. We participate in it. It wasn't just to listen. Mm. You and I went to a certain high school, the fame high school. And you're speaking from experience because there were, we, we studied various styles of music in our personal lives. But then we went there and it was classical music. You, As you said, stoic. You don't use your arms. You don't. You put your arms here and you do it a certain kind of way. And if a person claps, don't clap or don't shout during the whole thing. But in Black art, you ain't with me unless I I, I hear you say something bad. You got to talk back to me. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen? Or can I, you know, what's up? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, can y'all hear me? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what it is. And then when you say it makes me want to shout, there's a celebration there, but then there's also that dichotomy of makes me want to holler the way they do my life. Makes me mm. want to holler. Michael Jackson said, don't it make you want to scream? So there's so many different nuances to the letting out and the unveiling of the emotion pent up within us. And we were always willing to do that. Well, you know you make me Now, how many albums were going, or singles, were going platinum in 1959, 1960? 
Not very many. They they would say, we got a million seller on our hands. We have a million seller. That's huge. Like, are you crazy right now? A million seller? Yeah. So they they were they were breaking ground early. Incredible. And talk to me a, a little bit about the legacy of Shout, because you hear that song at every wedding, at every bat mitzvah, at every baby shower, barbecue, animal house. The yes. movie, I remember Ron hearing an interview and Ron said that it was hard for other acts to go on after them if they did that song. Listen, people was probably like, we'll pay you not to do that song tonight. <laughs> <laughs> this could be our big break tonight <laughs> if you just don't do that song. <laughs> but, sorry, but yeah, we got to do it. You know, that legacy to me, it also shows you how oftentimes we as a people, we'll look at ourselves, unfortunately, sometimes we'll look at ourselves and think our cultural things that we're doing, it's not wide reaching. It's not why, that's not why we, this is just, this is just black. Um, I don't want to be just a black singer. I don't want to be just a black writer. And Toni Morrison talks amazingly about that. But the thing that's crazy is this is a song. This is like the epitome to show that something so cultural, something so innate and something so interwoven into the black culture, like shout can literally be considered the most commercial pop culture representing song in America. So if somebody said, what does American music sound like in 1959, in the 50s, in the late 50s, and you throw on Shout, everybody in America begins to jump. It's, it's almost like, this is our American heritage or whatever it may be, you know? But we're looking at them like our, you know, but the thing is, no, but that's what I'm saying. When you look at a particular thing, if I did something and I got with something that's culturally Japanese, you know, something that's culturally whatever, any particular thing, I'm aware that I'm participating in it. You know what I'm saying? I'm aware that I'm, I'm a participant and that it makes me feel good and that it's great. So that's what we have. And Shout is one of those things that we have, but shows you there is no such thing as just a Black song just a Black experience. That is the motor that kind of makes everything go. I love that. I love that. And then in 1962, they cover Twist and Shout. And it's crazy that that's a cover because it, as far as I'm concerned, that's an Isley Brothers tune because that's the version that the Beatles latch on to in 62. And, they, and they've been pretty good, I feel, overall. I mean, I'd love to know what you think, but I feel like the Beatles overall have been pretty good at placing credit where it's due as it pertains to to Black music. Oh, definitely. I remember John Lennon made a comment. He said, if rock and roll was renamed, they could just call it Chuck Berry. You know, <laughs> that's what he said, you know. <laughs> but Twist and Shout, of course, the Ozzy Brothers, their version is a definitive version. Their version actually was the, was the bigger hit and the one that we know. And the thing interesting uh, that I look at is Twist and shout. To me, I look at it as a statement of there is no contradiction between your spiritual existence and your physical existence. Twist and shout. We had shout, but now twist and shout. So you put that together. Are you in the club? 
<clears throat> and then you're in your place of sacred worship. And you put that all together in that to me also helps embody who the Osley brothers uh, were in are. Absolutely. That makes that makes so much sense. Uh, the top notes. That's what I was trying to remember who had done it before. But when the Isleys put their hands on it, it was it was it was a wrap. Yeah. All the way, all the way around. <laughs> and the thing is, and, and, and with all due respect to the top notes, we had to we had to kind of refresh our memory to say, oh yeah, yeah, that the top notes. But you don't have to do that with the Ozzy brothers. Yeah. Exactly. No. Exactly. Because for me, whenever I'm talking about covers, the Isley brothers are always my first point of reference. It's like if you're gonna do a cover. Unless you're going to do it in the ideological vein of the Isley Brothers, meaning not to sound like them, but to put your own original spin on it. It's like, you might as well kind of just leave it alone. I'm not judging, but they are the the reimagined kings of covers as far Agreed. as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In the mid-60s, they have this brief stint with Motown. With uh, this old heart of mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if they had another big one for Motown. That one, which I think was originally going to be pitched to the Four Tops, which makes so much sense because I hear I hear the Four Tops when I hear that song. Like, I could see that. But that did not last. I-, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that because Motown, the great Motown, what can we say about Motown? But like Stevie, like Marvin who maybe even stayed, but it had to be under a totally different circumstance. Like the Jacksons, eventually you have to, you know, break out, right? I mean, you can speak much better to this than I can, but talk to me about 1965, what Motown is looking like and the Isleys, because when we think about it, we always talk about Stevie's Motown sort of pivotal moment and Marvin's, right? But the Isley brothers, five years before that, and of course, they're not legacy Motown artists like those other two. But the fact that they, five years earlier, were like, you know what? God bless. This is amazing. But you know what I'm saying? Can you speak to that a bit? Oh, man, they they had to make that move. Motown was a machine. You know, it was just probably one of the most well-oiled machines that we've seen as far as talent, musicians, writers, producers, arrangers, executives. And it's just you know, Black excellence, as they say. And there were so many artists on Motown that had mild hits, some that didn't have any at all. There's this great compilation called Cellar Full of Motown. And a Cellar Full of Motown, it's all these, it's volumes of Motown songs that never were hits, artists and acts that that it was ne- never had a hit. Sarita Wright, as Rita, as Rita Wright, had a song on there with that Motown sound, that kind of thing. And the Osley Brothers, they got caught up in that machine, and they were directly in competition with the Four Tops before Tops having the 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 spot. And they kind of seemed like they felt like they may never reach the potential of what they could do unless they actually just kind of branched out, you know, that kind of thing. It's like being, it's like, you know, having a group 
And, uh, you know, uh, uh, George Clinton talked about how the parliaments, they wanted to be like the temptations. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then he found himself in that Motown system, but they were never going to, the, temp- the temps were there. So they were never going to, so not only did they have, they were another one that just kind of had this this rebirth in elsewhere. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But the, the Osley brothers, it made sense for them. Not only to leave Motown, well, first of all, who leaves Motown? And then on top of that, who leaves Motown to do their own record label? Now, you're like going to be on your own record label. But here's the funny thing. Maybe Motown gave them the confidence to do their own label, get inside of a Black record company, watch everything happen from the top to bottom, and then say, we not only observed how the music was made, but we also observed what they were doing in this office. And can we do this? Can we do this ourselves? You know, and they decided, yes, that they could. And apparently they could in a huge way. (laughs) In a huge way. T-Neck Records, that's the label that you're referring to. I believe they got the inspiration for the name because that's where they were based. And and shout out to T-Neck, New Jersey. But to your point, I mean, like you said, who does that in the mid 60s and in such a big way? They, they do two albums from Motown. I think one of them is called Soul on the Rocks or, or, or something like that, which is... Yes, Soul on the Rocks. But let me tell you something. Soul on the Rocks, it's like one... It's it's a really good album. Like, it's really good. It's one of those things you listen to it and say, man, y'all don't know what y'all missing. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's a really good album. So, yeah, we can go on about it. But, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Soul on the Rocks. Shout out to Soul on the Rocks, man. The album that the album that didn't, but it could have. You know? It could have. Well, <laughs> I mean, it had the right title because things were definitely on the rocks. That relationship was about to, you know, they were about to bid adieu. But to your point, Barry Gordy cannot be underestimated. I think for any black music, anything that started post Motown, whether it's a publishing company, record label, executives, A&Rs at the table, all that stuff. I mean, we cannot thank folks like Barry Gordy, Gamblin' Huff, enough. So, and so Soul on the Rocks. And, you know, it's funny, and, and on the album cover, they're literally on the rocks. Like, they're like on the rocks. Like, you know what? This is perfect. This is perfect. It was art. This was art. Oh my God, relationship on the rocks. But just two years later, Mm. It's your thing. This is a pivotal moment. This is a pivotal moment in the Isley's story. In great music, there's always that pivot. I think of Stevie Wonder. Some people think it's later. For me, it's where I'm coming from. And maybe even a little before. Come on now. I agree. agree. I'm with you. I'm with you. (laughs) People love to say, oh, music of my mind. I'm like, wait a minute, though. We can hear that earlier. The Isleys, 1969, to me, with It's Your Thing, this is a shift for so many reasons. It's Our Thing was the album, which features It's Your Thing. It went to number two on Billboard's pop chart and number one on the R&B chart, which says a lot about your previous point, Black music is all-encompassing. But like, what is going on in 1969 
for the Isleys is astounding. Oh my gosh, it is astounding. That's the perfect word. You know, allow me to talk away from the topic in order to talk about the topic. So <laughs> I'm wearing this shirt, right? And I wore this shirt on purpose. And one of the names you'll see is a group called The Exciters right here, okay? Ooh. The Exciters. People, some people may remember an episode of Living Single where they were singing, tell them that you're never going to leave them, tell them, right? Okay. And they do this whole reenactment. That's loosely based on this group here, The Exciters, and that whole story. And the thing that's interesting about it is The Exciters was local historian Queens. The Exciters were a group, originally a quote unquote doo-wop group from Queens, three women and a man. And the lead singer, her name was Brenda Reed. Shout out to the Brendas of the world, like my mom. And shout out. Shout out. Shout out to the Brendas. And I'll say this. You brought up the Beatles. The Beatles, when they did their British invasion and they came here, there was one act that was opening up for the Beatles. That was the Exciters. Yes. All right. Now, the, they loved the Exciters. Now, the lead singer, Brenda Reed, she... She was in a relationship and the guy was in the group and his name was Herb Rooney. And Herb Rooney had come from another group, the Masters and the Beltones, ultimately settled with the, the Exciters. Well, ultimately what happens is Herb Rooney, who actually has a son, Corey Rooney, Corey Rooney, his mother is Brenda Reed, the lead singer, and Herb Rooney, that's their son. Corey Rooney went on to do all these songs from Mariah Carey and Mary J. Blige and all these different, you know, he's a, he's a legendary, iconic executive and musician. But his father was Herb Rooney. And Herb Rooney is the not only the producer of It's Your Thing, but Herb Rooney is on piano. Boom, 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 you know what I'm saying? So when they did that, so here we have, here we have this guy, Herb Rooney, who did more stuff with the Ozzy Brothers. We'll talk about him. And then his synthetic substitution. This is a Herb Rooney song that ultimately went through all out hip hop. And let me just have a little side. I was just going to say, was that the symphony I just heard? Yeah, that, you know what I'm saying? An OPP. And now, just right quick, Herb Rooney's son, Corey Rooney had a partner, Mark Morales. May he rest in peace, Prince Marky D. And Prince Marky D had a girlfriend that lived in Corey Rooney and Herb Rooney's neighborhood. This was this was Sandy Denton, Pepper from Salt and Pepper. And it brings it all full circle because they sample It's Your Thing, which comes from the work of Herb Rooney and the collaborative work of Herb Rooney with the Osley Brothers. So the Osley Brothers are right there in New Jersey. Herb Rooney and these guys is right in Queens. And when you think about it as a New Yorker, I know we have listeners from all over the place, but there's something about it's your thing that kind of feels like home. <laughs> like it's something, about, it's something about it that feels like home. That's part of the reason in that slow groove, that sound. And the fact that the album was called It's Our Thing. Yes. T-neck records. This is your thing, Osley Brothers. And not only did it mark a change in the sound of the Osley Brothers, but it marked a change in popular music, period. Because music didn't sound like that in 1969. That's not what it sounded like. Now, in 70 and 71 and 72, it did. 
Not in 69, though. We didn't have we don't yeah, you know, we don't have that <laughs> until them, until they're doing that. You know what I mean? We can literally go down the line and listen to all the songs that came out in 1969. There's not gonna be anything reminiscent of it's your thing unless you go to the exciters in their album in 69 you hear a couple of slow grooves that has that kind of a vibe as well. Oh my God. So it's your thing. Hip hop before hip hop. There's nothing blacker than the Osley brothers and especially talking about it's your thing. My father tells me, do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. My father said, not only was that a song, but that was a saying that people begin to say. It was a thing. It's my thing do what I want to do. Fred Sanford even did, you know, it's your thing, do what you want to do. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. You are who you are. Be great, be you. And that's what the Ozzy Brothers did. And when you look at those clips of them performing It's Your Thing and looking at all those Black people and those Black faces in the stands, putting the Black fist up, you know, with the afros and throwing the head back. And I mean, there's nothing more beautiful than this moment in our history. Osley Brothers, it's Come your thing. Come on now. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why <laughs> T.L. Cross is T.L. Cross. I mean, there, there's, there's just nobody like this guy. Nobody like this brother right here. <laughs> I mean, and I encourage you all to follow him, to support his work, because that twist, turn, journey he just took us on, that is something that he does so well on his platform and you, you've, you've done it again, my brother, you've done it again. I appreciate it, I appreciate that. Thank you for joining us for part one of this two-part discussion with T.L. Cross. Be sure to come back for part two as we get into the pivotal 1973 Isley Brothers album, Three Plus Three, in honor of its 50th anniversary. Milestones is a production of WBGO Studios, produced by Angelica Beener. Theme music by Riley Glasper. Special thanks to the WBGO production and creative staff. Listen on your smart speaker by saying, play Milestones, celebrating the culture. And if you're enjoying this content, please be sure to subscribe and review this episode on Apple Podcasts. Milestones with Angelica Beener, a podcast from WBGO Studios. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or go to wbgo.org slash studios.